Good morning. How are you doing? Kind of nice to have a little uh, warmer weather, a little bit warmer anyway, and get ready for tomorrow where it's supposed to snow again. So that'll be great. We're looking forward to it. If you need any place to shovel, come on over. You can come to our house. We have plenty of snow. I'm sure you could say the same. We're continuing on in our, our uh, series through First Peter here and there. Uh, we live here, we're, we're preparing to be there, and uh, we're going to be talking this idea this morning about the idea of redemption. Redemption means to be bought back. You've probably uh, heard of someone that's had the experience of taking something to a pawn shop. I'm sure none of you have never, ever done that. Uh, and in order to get your item back, you have to pay a price. It's called the redemption slip that you have to pay off. Jesus is the one who redeems us. Jesus is the one that pays the price. And it's kind of funny uh, when you think about it, see if, if you're like this, but uh, oftentimes we think we're smarter than God. You ever, have you ever thought you were smarter than God? Never? Well, good for you, because I have. I thought I was smarter than God. I thought I'd try things my own way from time to time instead of listening to what God teaches and, and God's way of handling things. And sometimes we can do that very same thing with the idea of our future relationship with Jesus. We can think that uh, he's going to do it a certain way. Uh, he's going to be the way we think instead of the way God thinks. And remember, God is holy. He's absolute perfect. There's no spot, spot or blemish in God. And so God doesn't always see things our way. His ways are higher than our ways, as it says in the scripture. And so we have to conform to what God says and not to what we say. God, in other words, has his own plan for our redemption. And that plan is stretched from eternity on. It's not something that he came up with when Jesus was born. That's something that the Father came up with from the beginning, that Jesus would come, that he would die for our sins. And so we're going to talk a little bit about that, because this passage that we're talking about today talks about this at great length. So we're turning over to 1 Peter uh, chapter 3 and verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for our sins, the just for the unjust, that we... He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive by the Spirit, by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient when once in the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water, there is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience towards God. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, is at the right hand of God, and angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. This passage makes it very clear that our, our eternity rests with Christ Jesus. It depends on what he does and not, not on what we do. It depends on him and his plan and not our own. 
And so uh, we look here and we see this idea of the plan of redemption. It requires something. In verse 18 it says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh and made alive by the Spirit. So we can see that Christ had to die. Wow. That's quite a plan, isn't it? Send your son to die for us. The just one, the one who never sinned, was sent to die for us. And this is not a new idea, as we've said. If you think about the birth of Christ, it's interesting to just review some of the things that happened at that time. In Matthew 1, and verse 18 through 21, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take to you, marry your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And so here we see uh, this angel instructing Joseph and telling him to believe something miraculous. Now, I don't know if you've ever stopped to think about what that would be like to be in his place, uh, to have to uh, deal with that situation from our flesh. Our flesh would probably indicate that this is not a good thing. I, wanted, I want this away from me. I don't want to be involved with this. But see, this angel came to him and said, in this dream, uh, do not be afraid to take her Mary to your wife. And so he had to make a decision right there, didn't he? He had to decide whether he was going to believe this angel of God or whether he was going to go his own way, whether he was going to do things the way he thought they were going to be done. And he made a decision, and he accepted what was said, and he accepted this idea that Jesus Christ was going to come, and he was going to save his people from their sins. If there's ever a passage in Scripture you ought to memorize, that's it. That's a good one. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from his sins. What does that mean? What does that mean to you to be saved from your sin? I mean that you're saved from your past, your present, and your future sins. It means that you're saved in the fact that you don't have to experience every mistake. We have the word of God that can warn us and teach us not to fall into the traps that sin often takes us into. See, this is all part of what this means. He will save you from your sins. When does that start? It starts the moment you become a Christian. It's the moment you have Jesus. He began saving you from things that you would have fallen into left to yourself. But yet sometimes, if you're like me, you still think you're smarter than God. And you try things your own way. And they don't work out. And we find ourselves saying, 
why? Well, it's pretty obvious why. Because we're outside of God's will at that moment. And so Jesus had to come and Jesus had to die in order to bring us to God. What does that mean, to bring us to God? To bring us into the presence of who? We, we all define God. The scripture makes it very clear. And one of the things that it seems like everybody has heard is that Jesus is, God is love. God is love, isn't he? That's why Jesus came to start with. But we forget that God has more to his character and who he really is to his essence than just that. He's also holy. Very important to understand that, that God is holy. And that means that he is perfect. It means that he cannot ignore our sin. There has to be a price for our sin. And because God loves us, he sent his son Jesus to present us to him. On that day of judgment, we will stand before God and we'll be covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. And he will not see our sins. He'll see Jesus. But we have to accept something miraculous. The Son of God died to make that possible. He carried the load of our sin to the cross. And it's a load that we deserve to bear. Oftentimes we forget that. We go along thinking, you know, well, you know, I'm glad Jesus died for me. But, you know, he really didn't have to. I'm good enough. I, I do all right on my own. Uh, surely God would look at me and see everything is just fine. I, I treat everybody better than they treat me. And, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm just doing a good job. That's wrong. See, we deserve to die. And if we've done anything, then we have to understand that that sin in itself would keep us from the presence of God. So Jesus has to die for everyone who is going to enter in to the kingdom of God. And so he redeems us, he buys us back, he pays the penalty for our sin, and because of that, then, we can stand before God. And we can come into the presence of God, the holy God, who doesn't overlook anything, except for the fact that Jesus had died for us. And so you make a decision, and we need to make that decision today, if we haven't made it. We stand with Jesus, or we stand alone to give a defense for ourselves. Now, we have a school, uh, Paradise Valley Christian School, and uh, we're, a number of us are involved with that school, and a number of you have kids at that school, and most everyone here has gone to school. Is there anybody here that hasn't ever gone to school? And is there anybody here that hasn't tried to give a defense or an excuse for not doing what they were supposed to do in school? Not one hand is going up. Because we know that's true. And you think about when you were a kid, <laughs> what kind of excuses did you give for not doing your homework? 
for not studying for the test. I mean, that, that they're the same kind of, they're, they're, these excuses are often so silly, right? As an adult and you hear these excuses, you realize that, well, that's, that's doesn't really cut the mustard, you know, you, you had to do it. You had to do the work. You had to do the homework. And so think about, extrapolate those excuses to what are you going to say on the day of judgment without the blood of Jesus covering you? What are you going to say? Well, I was too busy. I had too much to do. There are plenty of examples of excuses that were made. I have a I had to bury my father. I had to take care of my family. I had to do this. I had to do that. There just wasn't enough time in the day for me to get the job done. It, it's, it's not really my fault. It's not really that I was trying to be disobedient. It's just that, Lord, I, I didn't have the time to, to take and to do what you asked me to do. And, and you're going to have to finally come to the realization that I just didn't have the faith to trust you. to trust your word, to trust that what you say in your word, we need to do. We need to be obedient to you. And we need to follow those things that you proclaim as being true. In Romans 3, in verse 9, we say, What then? Are we better than they? And it's referring to the idea of the Jews and the Greeks and how they looked at eternal life. That's what Romans does, is it it looks at law systems and it begins to take down law systems and it shows you that there's no law system that's going to save you. The only thing that's going to save you is the blood of Christ. And so in this verse he says, what then, are, are we better than they? Not at all, for we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are all under sin. In other words, we've all sinned. Romans 3.23, famous verse, many of you could quote it. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The first step to becoming a Christian and to understanding who Jesus is is come to grips with the fact that you need a Savior. We are not good enough. I'm not good enough. We need a Savior. Jesus, or Peter here, talks about the idea in verses 19 and 20 of uh, 1 Peter 3, it says, uh, By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls were saved through water. He, he went and preached to the spirits in prison. Have you ever thought about sin being like that? It's like being in prison. You're captured by it. You're, you're controlled by it. I'm controlled by it. And the only one that can preach to us and proclaim the truth about it is Jesus himself, his word. His word tells us how to get out of that captivity, how to be released from the prison that we often find ourselves in. And I know that most of us sitting here today, even if we're not a Christian, don't think of the fact that, that, that that's really where I'm at. We don't have a clue how much sin controls our life. We don't have a clue how much the, the world around us is influencing us and, 
and causing us to think about things in the wrong way and, and we don't realize how important it is for us to be in the Word of God, to trust God and let God begin to work actively in our life. We don't understand what it means to have the Holy Spirit living in us and, and, and having God helping us to see the reality of how things work. Yet if we talk to each other, we would talk about this world and how, how we can see the evil of it and how we can see those things that are wrong. And we can see at this time as we have all kinds of ideas of how to fix the wrongs and the evils of the world coming from two different parties, we can see that they don't have the best answers. <laughs> at least that's my opinion. Of course, I'm not supposed to talk about politics. But that's my opinion. They don't have the best answers, but Jesus does. And so we must respond to what Jesus says. In Genesis 3, or 6, 3, uh, God says, My spirit shall not strive forever. Here it talks about the long-suffering of God, that he, he waits. But you know that, that God won't wait forever. There's a time frame that, that's, that we need to look at, that we need to see, that, that at some point, Jesus will return. So we're all prisoners without Christ. Do you want to stay that way? That's the question that you have to ask. We also need to see that God had a plan in the time of Noah. He had a plan, and very few people would accept it. And because of that, only eight were saved. You realize, of course, don't you, as Noah's uh, building the ark, there was plenty of opportunity for people to make a decision to get on board with what was being done. Some say that it took 120 years to build that ark. That's a long time. And during that time, we know that there was mocking and ridicule. And we know that people refused to accept what? A miraculous idea that the ark would make a difference. And that God had actually spoken to a man who had performed what God asked him to do. And so what was he waiting for? It says that he was waiting for something. He waited in the days of Noah. Noah, what was he waiting for? He was waiting for repentance. Repentance is to have a change of mind and direction. To determine that, you know, I understand I am going the wrong way in my life. Someone has exposed me to the, the scripture. Somebody's exposed me to Jesus Christ. And you begin to realize, you know what? I'm going the wrong direction. So repentance needs to have a ch change of mind and direction in your life, to have a, a turnaround, if you will, to come to that point where the conviction of God through His Holy Spirit is so strong that we realize, i got to go in a different direction. That's what it means to repent. That's what God was waiting for in the days of Noah, for them to turn back and to accept Him and to obey Him and to follow Him. And to realize he had a plan of how to live that he gave them. And so, it's the same for us. We have to realize that that, will not, that door of opportunity will not be open forever. All of us only have so much time in this life. 
The other option that we need to understand is that Jesus is going to return, just like he said. He could return tomorrow. He could return in the next few seconds. We don't know. And that's another problem that we often have, is we think I have forever to make a decision. And we don't. We do not have that. We only have the present. We only have this time to make a decision for the kingdom of God. Once that door shuts, there's no turning back. And the fact of the matter is, is that when Jesus returns, there will be no unbelievers. Philippians tells us that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that, that Jesus Christ is Lord. There will be no unbelievers. Faith will no longer be the case. It will be sight. Right now, you have to accept something by faith that you can't see. But at that time, when that door closes for those that are outside of Jesus, it won't be faith anymore. We won't have to depend on faith anymore either. Right? We're going to see him, and we're going to be like him. We're going to be changed in the twinkling of an eye. And so we need to take this seriously. God has a plan. We can't go by our own plan. We must go by his. And so eight people were saved because they did what God said. They did it even though they didn't completely understand it. Some say that there's ne there was, had never been rain on the earth at that time of the ark. Some say that. And so they didn't even understand this idea. But yet they trusted God. They did it without understanding. And you know, I've been a Christian for a long time. And I can't stand here and say I understand it all. That's for sure. And if you do understand it all, please come and see me after church so you can explain it all to me. If you're that positive, just come and explain it all to me. I'm positive of one thing. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Period. I know that without a doubt. And so we continue on here in uh, 1 Peter 3. We'll start in verse 21. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. See, it's not about getting wet. It's about having a clear conscience before God. What is involved in salvation? We need to look at the New Testament and see what's involved with it. First off, you need to hear the message. That's what we're here today. Hopefully you're hearing the message. Jesus died for us. Jesus is standing with his arms wide open. We can become Christians. We can follow him. And his blood will cover our sins. We need to hear that. But then we've got to believe it. And, you know, sometimes that's where we get hung up. We don't realize that there's more to belief than just hearing something. 
You have to accept it. You have to understand that it's real. You know, I could believe that I can jump across or 10 feet high. I could believe that. But can I do that? There's a difference. Do you see that? When you, when you believe something, it becomes faith. Faith moves us forward. Faith causes us to do things that we don't necessarily see clearly. Why? I can't explain it to you other than Jesus says to be baptized. Jesus says that you need to do that. In, in the Great Commission, it says, go into all the world, make disciples, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all things whatsoever commanded you. The last thing Jesus said is do that. And so if we don't have a clear conscience before God, if we don't understand these next steps, the idea of repentance that we see that we have a need to change. If we don't understand that we need to be those that confess what, what God's done, then, then baptism means nothing. Some of you probably took a, shower, a bath this morning. Any of you? Well, I thought it smelled funny in here. <laughs> but, but you see, if, if you don't have these things, then baptism doesn't mean anything. You have to confess, you have to repent, you have to believe. And then you have to trust that God is asking you to do something that maybe you don't fully understand. Why? And the Bible's full of these things. I'm going to take you on a little tour of the Bible, just a few things that show you that God asks us to do stuff we don't understand all the time. How about the Garden of Gethsemane? You can eat anything you want, but don't mess with that tree in the center of the garden and don't eat from that. Uh, Gethsemane, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Garden of Eden. Thanks, Yudana. Yudana has this, Yudana has this horrified look. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Yeah, I, get, I said Gethsemane. It, garden of Eden is what I meant to say. Yeah. Well, now that I've blown that... You can't, don't eat of that. What do they do? Well, I don't think he means that. So they ate of it. They were deceived, but they ate of it. And you know what? That's created a few problems for us over a long time. In the Old Testament, there's a man named Haman. He had leprosy, so he came and asked for advice from a prophet of God. And the prophet of God told him, Go and dip in the river seven times. And I remember he says, well, don't we have a cleaner river than that? Why can't I go and dip at home? It's a ni lot nicer river than this river. And he said, dip seven times. What if he had dipped four times? Would his cancer have been healed? If he had dipped six times, it wouldn't have been healed. He had to do what God said. And he did it. And the seventh time when he came up, the cancer, this leprosy was gone. Jericho, this is my favorite one of all. Jericho, march around the city once for six days. The seventh day, march around seven times and blow the trumpets. And, you know, we've all talked about that. I'm sure that if we were walking around there, there'd be some of us probably back there with me saying, why are we doing this? <laughs> what? What sense does this make? What is God thinking? 
But they did it. What if they'd have marched around six times and blown the trumpet? Would they, would they won the battle? The answer is no. They would not have won. The walls would not have fallen down. There's a, in the New Testament, we see Ananias. Ananias was called to go see Paul, who had been struck blind on the road to Damascus as, as the Lord called to him. Why do, you, why do you kick against the goats? Why are you going against me, Paul? He struck blind and he said to Ananias, you go to Paul. You go to a, a street called Straight. What if he decided that he was going to go to a street called Paradise Drive? What if he decided to go somewhere else? What would have happened? He wouldn't be first off a disciple. He wouldn't be faithful. He'd be an actor. And he wouldn't be one that brought about the result that God called for. These are examples of things that we don't clearly understand, that we don't realize how that all worked, but we know that God was working in it. You can see these in, throughout Scripture where Jesus healed people. He asked them to do stuff, some pretty funky stuff. Spit on the ground and he made clay out of the spittle and he put it on the, the, the blind man's eyes and he said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. That's kind of, what, what might you be thinking? Why are you putting your spit on me? See, God does things differently, doesn't he? But see, because of faith, then you trust God and you go forward. And because of a clear conscience, we go and we, we are baptized into Christ. And Paul read the passages I was going to read now, which talks about being buried with Christ, being to die with Christ, to have our, our sins taken away. See, that's, that's what happens. In Acts 22, we're... we're Paul is explaining these things that have taken place in his life, and he talks about this conversion process for him. It goes like this. It says, Then a certain Ananias, a devout man according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me, and he stood and he said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at the same hour I looked up at him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you, that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. For you will be his witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. And he did it. And he did it. God does things differently than we sometimes can grasp. But we have to trust him. And we can't decide how his redemption plan works for ourselves. We need to trust the plan that Jesus brought to us. Too often in life, we decide that we know better than God. 
God's plan is not always clear when you're in the middle of the battle, is it? But it's always clear when the battle's go over. You can look back and you can see, okay, that makes sense. That makes sense. So let's stand today. We're going to sing our invitation or have our closing song. If there's a decision to be made, we would ask you to come as we sing.